Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company podcast. My name is Andrew Robertson. I'm one of your hosts for this episode, and our other hosts include... Hi, I'm Bill Snyder, uh, host of After Rot, the radio show, and author of Poetetic Horror, uh, and some other stuff. Hi, I'm Monica S. Kubler, managing editor of Rumorg Magazine, and author of the Blood Magic Saga. Hi, I'm Crystal Bork. I'm author of the Book of Eve series. Hi, I'm Sefer Jerome. I'm the Ontario chapter head of the Horror Writers Association, and I'm also the author of Witch Upon a Star series, and I'm also working on a science fiction novel. So for this episode of the podcast, we're going to be looking a little bit uh, at branding yourself as a horror writer, and uh, this one is going to focus on visuals, website, online presence. So the first question that I'm going to put to everyone, writers are notorious for wanting to be behind the scenes. Uh, you'll, you'll find that a lot of the big writers don't necessarily want to be dressed up and put out in front of a camera, but you've got to have your author photo. So let's start with this. What should an author keep in mind when they're creating that author photo that's going to be on their dust jacket in someone's collection for the next 20 years? Personality. How do you how do you express the personality through the photo? Well, that's kind of the thing. I mean, some people's personalities are very sedate, very normal. Hey, they look like a normal person. Some people are extremely on the outside that go, hey, I'm wacky. And, and that personality, I think, should be a little bit more conveyed in their photo. It, it, that's definitely true, because there's some dust jackets I look at, and I look at the author, and then I read the book, and I think, how the hell did they come up with that? But... Psychotics look just like the rest of us, right? Isn't, yes, that, they do. isn't that the golden rule when it comes four. to this type of stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should be usually better looking than the rest of us. <laughs> no, no crow's feet in the eyes. I, I think Photoshop will be part of the discussion, but let's let's talk about props because in in joining the Horror Writers Association and doing this podcast and educating myself on what people do, I found an awful lot of horror writers' photos where someone is holding a glass of fake blood and wearing fake fangs. So let's start from there. What are the no-nos? What should you not be doing if you want to be taken seriously as a writer? I was going to actually suggest that I think writers should have two potential photos done, two potential publicity photos. One that's your more kind of staid, conservative, you know, proper author photo. And then something that, you know, maybe does have a prop and is a little more fun. And I say this because working for Rue Morgue, when we're doing a feature on an author, we're not really interested in those very, like, book jacket kind of prim and proper photos. We are always looking for an interesting photo of an author with something horror going on because we're a horror magazine. Obviously, we're a very niche publication, though, and what we might want is not necessarily what Entertainment Weekly or, you know, a bigger, more mainstream uh, magazine might want. So I would say, you know, kind of get a... Get a, if you're while you're sitting there in the session, get a matching pair, something that you can use for publications that are you know more horror, more like deeply you know deeply involved in the industry, and then get something that you can use when you're talking you know when you need to do something that's a little bit more mainstream, and you know maybe the photo with the glass of blood wine or you know the <laughs> vampire fangs or you know the skull in your hand is not so appropriate. 
Yeah, um, way back when uh, I was deciding to do an author photo for Leisure Books, that's when I sort of got into the corset thing. Um, I sort of liked corsets before that point, but then I thought, because back then corsets weren't like they were now, it was still really unusual for someone to have one. So my thing was all my author photos, and whenever I go to a convention, I'd always have corsets, and that way they could tell me apart from all the other redheaded horror writers, because <laughs> I was redheaded then. Then I dyed my hair black, but everyone's black-haired too. And then uh, sometimes when I do newspaper, I still distinctly remember um, a, a photographer came to my house for a newspaper article for the Mississauga News, and he wanted me lighting a candle at my candelabra, and a lot of you probably see that when you Google me, that picture still shows up even though it's like 15 years old, because he wanted something fun and interesting. Um, so for me, the course of thing is part of my branding, but it's always fun to do interesting things with that. Uh, besides like looking scary or smiling or whatever um, but yeah I think uh, and also on another side um, I'm going to be in, a, in an anthology about the Stanley Hotel Writers Retreat and the people that are doing that Rothko Press uh, they don't want standard author photos they don't want you standing there looking serious they want crazy um, things that show our personalities and have a sense of fun and also show that it's a horror that we're horror writers uh, so what's in right now? I mean, we you could have both. You could have the, the sort of more serious one and then something more prop-laden. And maybe the one with props would be good if you're doing a reading at a local bar or, or event space or something. But if someone's going out to get a photo done right now, what what should they be looking to do? Like, what, uh, what sort of level of professionalism? Well, I think you don't want to look like you're too crazy. Um, and even like when it comes to Facebook, uh, a couple of years ago, someone told me all my Facebook pictures were, a friend of mine actually, he told me, you know, Seth, if you want to be taken as a serious writer, you've got to stop having so many crazy Facebook pictures where you look like you're insane. But at the time he told me that, I was actually experimenting with dressing up as my own characters from my books and posting the pictures, so they are crazy. Because um, I was playing with that as in with YouTube, I would I did some little YouTubes as my characters. I'm not sure that helped me at all. I have no idea. But the thing is you have to decide how you want to be perceived by the public. For me, I just want people to know I'm alive and I exist. So I will do anything crazy and weird and all that. But other people, they may only want to be known as a serious author, so therefore don't be hanging out with plastic teeth and plastic capes. Then other people, they may want you know, to be known as that comedic, funny horror author or whatever, so they can do like the plastic teeth and the stupid hair and all that. Um, so you really have to think, because as we know, the internet's forever, so whatever pictures you put out there, they're going to haunt you till you die. Um, so be aware of what you're posing for and what you let out there, that it, it will be part of your branding, even if you didn't mean it to be. And it's interesting that you said the internet is forever, and you had talked about how a photo that was taken of you years ago becomes sort of that signature photo that comes up when people uh, search you. How often should you be updating your image as an author? Well, that particular photo that comes up, I've never used it. It was printed in a, in a news, the Mississauga News newspaper, and it just comes up when you Google my name. But it becomes a part of your internet cycle. So, you know, you've got your, your website uh, photos. If you've got your own web page, there's things that appear on Facebook. It all appears in a search. Um, but how often should you be going out and getting a professional photographer to update that look for you um, so that you sort of maintain a, a contemporary appeal? 
I try to get professional pictures done every couple of years, so it's been a while recently, but I often, I'm often i one of those lucky people where people say, hey, Seth, uh, I want to photograph you, and they're professional, and you know, I'll photograph you, and then you can use the pictures, but use my name, and, you know, and it's sort of the barter thing where they get their name out, I get my name out, and that's great. Um, I would say every year, if possible, if you're prolific and putting out a lot of work, because we do change a lot. You know, if you're like I'm with a um, doing some acting and with a background agency, I have to upload pictures every time I cut my hair or gain weight or lose weight, and and you know authors don't have to be that specific. But if you're changing your look a lot and you want people to know what you look like, you should do it every year. But some people don't want people to know what they look like, and so you can just have a big black nothing as your or you can just photo. keep folders 10 pounds under 10 pounds over <laughs> redhead, the redhead folder scrabble through there and find when you're at whatever weight you're supposed to be at um let's talk about photoshop how do you feel about being photoshopped i never use it now that it's not free anymore it hasn't been free for what 15 years <laughs> i used to use it all the time well but my yeah. partner is uh, is a designer so yeah, if, if i needed to be i guess i could be but I don't know that I'd want to be. Yeah, even on Instagram and stuff, like I know a lot of people, they, they blur out their wrinkles and stuff. I'm always exactly what the camera captures. I never, I, I think maybe once in a blue moon and it's always very obvious uh, when I use a filter. But like even my landscape pictures, I, I just like the natural pictures. So for me, I don't play around with that stuff because I don't, I know what I look like and I'm fine with it. Well, let's bring it down to that, because it's, it's not just your author photo or a publicity photo that goes out there. Everyone has an Instagram or a Snapchat or some social media component. Maybe not Bill. He's shaking his head. Um, but, but there are filters. There are ways that you can improve how you think you could look. Um, outside of Snapchat, I'm not talking about like adding horns and lamb noses and hearts and, and all that shit. I don't get that but, <laughs> at no. all. I do not get it. I think it's some weird, you know, flirting on the farm type of a thing. And we'll, <laughs> we'll figure out what's wrong with the generation in years. Um, but how do you feel about uh, about your own accounts and how you're presenting yourself? And and do you feel that you need to adjust? how you look in real life to become more the person that a reader may think that you should be? I think the, when I look at other authors, I like them to look like themselves, mostly because when I see them, it's kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be shocked. It's like a, a bad blind date or, you know, you go to a dating <laughs> site and it's like, um, you're expecting one thing and you get something completely different and I feel like it ends... Not that they're trying to be dishonest, but, you know, that's who you are, and I enjoy your writing, so why not just be authentic to yourself? It's part of your branding, I feel. So, um, I mean, that being said, you know, pictures I post, I do feel that I look good in those pictures, and I do put filters, but I'm not, like, you know, photoshopping my face. Um, if I'm having a bad day and I don't feel like I look good, I don't post those pictures. Or, you know, if you go get photos done... You know, you pick the best one out of the 100 that they, they take. Um, and there might be minimal Photoshopping, but again, I think you should, or at least in my opinion, I prefer authors that look more true to self than not. But I think it's all part of managing your persona as a public person, because although you're writing a book, and a book is not something where people are looking directly in, into you and your life, um, there, there are going to be moments where an author, if they do well, are going to be on television or appear in, in print media. 
Um, and I, I think these are all considerations. Um, it's the same as any other job as well. I mean, you if you go on someone's feed and you've got your author writer page and then someone goes on the other one and, and every picture of, is of you ridiculous, embarrassing, etc. It can, <laughs> all of these things I think can affect your image. For sure. Um, especially when you're trying to create credible works of, of art, arguably. I mean, there's, there's that whole condition that people have about horror literature, you know, not being up there with the great works, but they are. Um, so let's switch over to websites and, and use this to move into web presence. What are the elements that make a good website for a horror writer? Pictures and um, I think uh, when you go to someone's website, there should be like a major main picture, their name, so you know where you are. And then I think a brief bio about the author that you can click to, to a more intense bio and then a place where you can easily see what books they have and another place where you can see if they're coming to a town near you so you can get their autograph. Either contact uh, info for the author or for the author's publisher or agent if that's uh, what you have. Oh, yeah. Because if the me, I, I say this as someone who works for a magazine, so if I want to cover someone for the magazine and I maybe didn't get a review copy and a, you know, a tear and a press sheet with all the information about how to get in touch to get an interview or whatever, my go next go-to thing will be to go to either the author website or social media. So you, with an author website, you obviously want to make sure if the media is coming there because they're interested in your new book, that it is very clear how they can reach you or your people. And you'd be surprised at how many websites I go to in a given month or two where, not necessarily author websites, but just websites for things in the horror world in general, where they don't have any contact information. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. I also work uh, to a certain degree in journalism and over the past two decades have gone to people's websites and, and thought, you know, they're doing a fantastic job, whether it's a book, an album, a piece of art that they're doing, a, some kind of a tour. And you go to the contact section, and there's nothing there. Or half their website is to be constructed. And it's the most infuriating thing, because your contact information should be first and foremost, because that's how people are going to reach out to you. It's, it should be a two-way street. I think that you should be monitoring your website and your web presence, which I don't feel that a lot of people do adequately. Like, how many of you have websites, like personal websites? Yeah, I have a... Yeah. yeah. Everyone here does, right? Yeah. How often do you check the mail coming into that website, uh, whether you've got mail in a month or not? Does it does it come directly to your Gmail or your Hotmail? Do you have it directed to your personal email? Yeah, mine comes directly to my yeah. everyday email. Yes, mine That's how I think to, it should be. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I have contacted artists in, in different areas of the arts, and months later being told, oh, I'm sorry, I don't check that account for it regularly, I don't get a lot of mail there. Well, then don't have the website. Yeah. Put it somewhere else, because that is your calling card. And, and I think this sort of discussion, um, the, the reason I picked this topic was because there were so many people that I would land on their webpage and think, oh, that would be a great person to interview for this podcast. And I can't figure out how the fuck to find them. <laughs> it's really distracting. I've yeah. gone to people's websites and it's like, oh, I'm going to write, you know, say, hey, man, I like your work or whatever. And you can't, there's no click to even email them a fan letter. 
And then some of them have these crazy form things. It's they're so frustrating. It's like I, no, I I just wanted to say I like your work, but now I'm not gonna because I can't deal with this pop-up form thing with encryption and codes and all that crap. No, it's like oh man, whatever. I'll just buy your record. I also I also think you know in 2016, if you have a website. I think it is somewhat important to realize that a lot of people are now looking at the yeah. internet on their tablets and on their phones. Yeah, yep. So, thing. you know, try to make your website at least slightly compatible. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes absolute compatibility is imp impossible, but, you know, try to at least make sure that the important parts of your website can be seen if someone's looking it up on a phone. Well, if you're using something like blogger.com, they will actually, they, yeah. do, they do automatically put the template into mobile yeah. things. So if you're not website savvy, then you can click that little button and have them do it for you. And most other web uh, design programs also create the tools to create it all across multiple platforms as well. I think that's totally fair. Today I was actually on a website. Uh, it wasn't for a writer, it was for an artist. But... The mobile site did not exist. I turned it sideways, you know, my iPhone turned it sideways thinking maybe it'll reformat it, but it wasn't. It was just like three words <laughs> and the next three words and the next three words as I scrolled through the entire thing. I thought, wow, they, they had just released a, a major body of work and you would have thought that they want everything to be accessible. And I think in creating these sites and methods of communication, um, for what I've seen for a lot of writers, it seems to be that they defer to something like a Facebook page, where everything is sort of curated for you, it's already formatted, and it's very accessible, but if someone wants to buy your book, if they want to contact you directly, if they want to have a, a, a fuller experience of who you are as a writer, you don't get those options on there. Um, so, how about, Bill? You do now if you pay the Facebook premium prices for that. So you can sell through Facebook now. You can sell through Facebook now. Oh. Beautiful. There are uh, there are buttons on your pages or whatever that you can say, um, what the hell they call it? Something about push to action. Yeah. And that oh. can go straight to an Amazon site or an individual um, link to buy that book. That was going to be my next question. If you're buying through Facebook, do you get that check beside your name on Amazon if you're interested in being on? you know, the bestsellers list. That I don't know. Which, according to Brian Keane's article that I read this week, 48 books will get you on that bestsellers list. So oh, nice. you yeah. want to make sure that all of those clicks count. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how often do you all update your websites? <laughs> Not often <laughs> enough. That's I'm, because I'm too busy today. hashtag writing. Yeah. <laughs> I know, like I was thinking... You know, a couple months ago, oh, I better get all this stuff on my website that I'm going to Nikon, I'm doing Fan Expo, I'm doing all these things this summer. And yeah, here we are, three weeks from Fan Expo, I haven't written about Nikon yet, and that was three weeks ago. And uh, But tonight I have to update it because I put in some other content on. But yeah, it, the time goes by quickly, uh, yeah. and you forget. I go through phases where I'm on, because I have four, four or five websites for all my various hats, but then my author one gets neglected a lot because it's not the one I use to drum up business like I do for my tarot writing website or my editing website and the ones where I, you know, I, my day job websites. So the writing one does fall by the wayside for me. But I, you know, I, I won't. I won't be more than a year like some of you maybe are. But you know. <laughs> yeah. 
I try and I try and update mostly the the blog. Um, I update probably my social media way more just because it's easy to post a picture or a little you know update on writing or whatever. Um, and people tend to like just kind of pictures more so than than writing. Uh, and then I've moved a lot of my stuff over because I'm trying the Patreon platform, which is a uh, people pay you to create art. So I've moved a lot of my updates and stuff over behind the paid wall so that my readers or my patrons um, feel like they're getting something. So they're always the first yeah. to know. They're, you know, they're the only ones that know about some secret projects I'm working on right now and uh, things like that. So then I'm like, but I got to update my regular website at some point. But then so I'm playing with these different ideas of different platforms of I don't want to update my regular website too soon because I want the Patreon people to feel special that they're getting the, the new news. It sort of becomes the technology work creep thing yeah. where, you know, technology is supposed to make our lives faster, more efficient, and easier. But, you know, first there were websites. And now there's an entire social media presence you have to maintain. So, you know, it's like certain things are faster, but certain things take, uh, you know, but, but then you, you're multiplying these things. So suddenly yeah. they all take a lot longer. I would say, you know, if you're like myself and you're a little bit bad at updating your website, I tend to get bad when I'm not, don't have anything coming out immediately because it's like, you know, I work on the mag and the mag has its website and it gets updated all the time. So unless I'm doing a personal project, putting out a book or something, you know, you know, my, uh, my presence is sort of through a remorse. But I would say that if you do have something coming out, give your website some love in like, you know, the four to six months preceding that release. Mm -hmm. Even if you didn't give it a lot of love for a year or two before, just so that when the media starts coming and when people start coming because of the buzz about your book or whatever is building, that there is something somewhat fresh there. And then, you know, once your book tour winds down and whatever, if you feel super swamped again and it's all just so overwhelming, you know, at least it, you were there and you were, you know, putting the effort in when probably the most hits were coming that way. And then if, you know, you got to get the next book done and you don't have time to do the website and the social media and whatever, you might defer back to the social media because maybe that's where your fan base gathers or maybe that's just a really fast way to hit your readers on Twitter with an update that isn't as involved in the website. But... You know, if you've got something coming out, that active website is important. So that's definitely when I was in, I would suggest investing the extra time for a while. And then I've um, moved from kind of what I said a minute ago. I've moved from having an actual website website to now all my websites are blogger.com websites. And then the nice thing about that is now you can link to Goodreads and to Amazon. Um, so whenever you update your blog, they go right to Amazon and right to Goodreads. So that's one less step out of your social media world. Yeah. I think WordPress yeah. does this. Like mine, WordPress does the same as well. When yeah. You, when you update. And you can also integrate that with Twitter and yeah. Facebook and any other social media forum yeah. as well. So the tools are out there because I was going to say, you know, how do you how do you decide what you're going to update the most when you've got a website, a blog, a Twitter, a Snapchat, an Instagram, a Facebook page, probably a personal Facebook, and everything else that's out there? Um, because I feel like there's nothing worse than going to someone's website, and it's just a sad old shit that no one's touched in two years, <laughs> but you go to their Facebook page, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize how much you had going on. But your main presence online, the first thing that comes up for you is going to be your personal website if you've done it right. Um, and you want that to be sort of fresh. Um, so how do you 
how do you manage the different resources that you have and make sure that you're not giving Twitter all of your time because it's instant gratification and actually making sure that when your fans are looking for something, they actually know what's up to date without having to go to four different sites. I think you've just asked the big question of the new millennium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this like, why are we... Hire someone what is to look after your website. Do you all, do the, you all the manage answer, your own website? Lost some money and buy somebody. Yes. That's, the answer to this might money. be 42. <laughs> I think it is, actually. <laughs> I thought the answer was intern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, yes. If there's any interns listening, suffrage really needs an intern. Well, I think it's it's less is more, I do believe. And I forget who told me, but it's the don't sign up for everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, if a new technology comes out and you want to try it, sure, go ahead. But just ultimately the writing is what counts. And if you're not writing and you're not producing material um, to sell as a book, then, you know, you're not... You really don't have anything kind of going on. You just have a social media presence. And that might work for some people, but ultimately if you're an author or a writer, that's not going to work in the long term. Um, so, I mean, I really agree with what Monica said about um, if you're going to release something, you know, try a couple months before to oh, yeah. you know, update your website because I do think primarily your website is who you are and, and it's a snapshot of information. Um, and then kind of try and balance by doing what really makes you happy. If you really enjoy Instagram, do Instagram. If you hate Snapchat, why you want it, stop using it, you know? Just do what you love and, you know, it'll, it'll, you won't waste time on other things, basically. Know your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay, for years, blogging was the most important thing. You know, all writers had to be bloggers. I'm a terrible blogger. Why am I a terrible blogger? Because I don't like talking about myself. Yeah, <laughs> I would rather be sitting behind my desk working on my fiction. So, you know, over the years, I've tried to resurrect my blog about a gazillion times, and I'd get it going for three weeks, and I'd be like, oh, fuck this, I hate blogging. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's also, uh, you know, I blog as part of my job at Rumorg, so I'm already producing blogs on a regular basis. And it was just, the energy just isn't there for yet another blog thing that I have to write, because writing yet another blog thing is taking away that yeah. 20 minutes I have to work on my novel, and which, because I have a two-year-old, is very, you know, there's only, like, a couple of those 20 minutes a and day. You and you can yeah. tell as well, if that, if you don't really enjoy blogging, it's going to show, like, people are going to tell. So, or to be able to tell. So, so when I redesigned my website, I chose a thing that I chose a website design that wasn't blog heavy. It actually, if you look at my monicaskubler.com website, you'll see that on the front, each of the little things are just little news blurbs. So I can basically say, hey, I'm appearing at this event and doing this. And I'm still not good at updating it. <laughs> but at the very least, I'm not, I haven't created a website with something that is completely out of my strengths. And you know what I mean? And I'm just kind of pounding my head against the wall going, oh, i got to do the blog, i got to do the blog. Well, so, so you're really managing expectations. Yeah, manage you your own say, expectations. You know, you know what? <laughs> A professional writer actually doesn't have time to blog for you every day. If you have time well, to read it, that's great, I guess. <laughs> well, that's part of the thing is that I want to blog a lot more, but then it's like... I'm supposed to be writing a book a month, and then this other book, the, the science fiction book, I'm doing a chapter a month, plus I edit full-time, and then I think, you know, then I think, okay, if I start writing, like, a little blog about, you know, 
Bates Motel or something, then the people who are waiting for me to edit their work are going to be reading my blog going, hey, she's supposed to be working on my book. What the hell is she farting around on her blog for? You know, well, and then I saw things about George R. R. Martin's people, fans of all going crazy because he's like years late on delivering Game of Thrones or whatever the hell. Then someone said, you know, he wrote something like 462,000 words about football or whatever the hell it was. He could have written three more books instead, and they're all uproarious. So then you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, right? Well, let's be realistic. (laughs) A millionaire writer that wants to take his time does not owe you anything, but... Who wants to start a pool that he'll be the next VC Andrews and he'll he'll pass to the next world, but the books keep coming. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think any of us would sign up to ghostwrite those because it's, oh my gosh. Yeah. it's worth it. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> um, so if you you've got your website out there, you need to fill space with some kind of updates. What should you do? Because I've seen people do stuff like share a music video that they like or, you know, talk about some current event, etc. I mean, is there a danger to diluting your brand by getting way off topic of what you're writing about? I'm not expecting someone to share, you know, like the horror and the haunting all the time. But I think if you get too far into, I just need to share something and it's completely sort of non-topical... Is that diluting you as a brand, as your own brand? I think it depends on what you see your website and your brand being. Like for me, like I said, I've discovered over the years I'm terrible at blogging. So when I built my most recent site, I was like, I'm not putting anything on the front page that looks like a blog component. I'm just going to do... You know, pick a template and move work from a template that has little news. Yeah, because when you go so to your website, me, it just says not a blog. Yeah, which so is for really so helpful. so for me, it's like, what do I put on there? Well, it's not a blog, so I'm not going to be talking about my dog getting sprayed by a skunk, and I'm not going to be talking about my baby taking her first steps. I'm going to be posting my little news things about what's going on in my world. You know, it's got a little rotating picture thing, so I might add some pictures from StokerCon or whatever up there. But you know, for my website, because I realized I'm not good at blogging, I'm like. My website is simply for somebody who wants to come and learn more about my work and my news. So, you know, there's the front page where you get the news. There's the stuff where you get to see the interviews I've done in the press. Okay, there's a place you can go and get high-res images if you're doing a story on me. You can get a high-res author photo. You can get a high-res book cover. Um, and I can't remember what else is on there. But it's, it's all just sort of really functional, learn more about what's going on in the world of Monica kind of stuff and it's not meant to be sort of a snapshot of my life if you want the snapshot of my life you follow my pictures on Instagram or you follow me on Facebook um, because you know I'm good at pictures they, they don't involve they don't involve sitting in front of a desk and writing about my life when I'd rather be writing about vampires mm-hmm. yeah. yeah years ago like way back when I first started my website when the internet was first invented um, I, I called it Sephra's World, and I still call my blog Sephra's World, because I figure if you're coming to learn about me, you're learning about my crazy fucked up world, which it is. Um, I, I used to be more focused on just horror, but my world includes so much more, and I've always talked about my kids, but not so much when they were younger, because back then we weren't too sure. I used to call them thing one and thing two, and we'd post pictures that didn't really show their faces and stuff, but now they're adults, it's okay. But then... I know I like, you know, if I'm following celebrities or whatever, I like seeing their world. I like seeing their dog. I like seeing them hanging out on the beach or whatever. So I do a little bit of that, but I still try to keep my stuff focused on my paranormal adventures, which I think ties into horror. 
I'm a Star Trek, uh, Star, not Star Trek, Star Wars nerd. <laughs> oh my God! I do like Star Trek too, of course. But I'm a Star Wars nerd. We're totally so going to fight totally... later. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I, I do, you know, do the Star Wars thing. Partly because I know there's so many millions and millions of Star Wars fans that maybe one or two of them might like to read some of my horror books one day. You know, I, you know everything has a double reason why you do it. But I do try to keep, you know, and I try to do... I post things like when I go to Gay Pride, I post pictures from the parade or the marijuana march because I feel like those are important political things that I want people to know I'm involved with. And, um, you know, so I, I try to draw them into Sephra's world for me as a personality, as, but I do keep it dark, but not the real dark. The dark, not the dark, the darknesses. I, I find it interesting because it is something I kind of struggle with. It's the, do you stick to brand or do you you know, kind of incorporate um, other elements of, of your life. And I find that I just basically work best if I have an idea and I just want to write about it, that's what I write about it on the blog. And to produce good writing and good content, at least in my opinion, when I, when I blog, but to try and do that regardless of the topic so that at least it's something people will enjoy reading and be introduced to my writing in some way, shape, or form. Um, but it is something I definitely struggle with, with, you know, how much sort of dark elements do you put in and um, I don't want to get cliched because, you know, a lot of other horror writers are doing kind of the same thing. So how do you think outside the box and do something different? So um, that's one element that I'm still like on the fence about for sure. Well, you certainly don't want to... Uh to create such a niche for yourself that you come across as, as sort of a stereotype or a, a caricature in a box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the last question for this episode, we're seeing a real influx of live videos. You're seeing a lot of live videos on, you've got Snapchat, Facebook, now Instagram, you've got stories. Um, and there's people that are choosing that to interact with their fans. And of course they can see how many people are watching um, you know, they'll try and do something sort of engaging to, to get people on that feed. Um, how do you see authors being able to use that properly? And maybe sort of a, a precursor to a cautionary tale, what, what should they be doing and maybe what shouldn't they be doing to protect that sort of brand and marketing that they should be looking at? I guess you have to know what your fans want. Like, you have to have some sort of, you know, understanding of your fan base. Because maybe if you have teenage readers, what they're looking for you from you in a live video thing would be completely different than if your readers were Mm -hmm. middle-aged. I haven't quite figured out what the best way to use live video (laughs) is. I'd like to try to use it in a live reading situation, because that seems like, you know, all the people who can't come to your Toronto reading can maybe catch, you know, five minutes of it live on Facebook. That might be a cool way to use it. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sold that, here, this is some video of me walking my dog is necessarily <laughs> going to sell novels for you. Yeah, I, I can see myself using it for my witchy side, for my tarot readings and paranormal investigations. Live, there's a ghost in the room, check out the K2 meter and, and stuff like that. I'm not sure a live video of me sitting and typing... But then again, people have told me if there's a video of me typing in a corset, maybe they would watch it. So who knows? Maybe I'll try that, guys. That is just for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I aim to please. 
But, I, you know, I have seen, oh, I swear, at least 10 of my friends. I have over 4,000, about 4,000 Facebook friends. So uh, about a dozen of my friends um, over the last few weeks, I, I'll see live. Someone's doing something live. So I'll go click on it to see what they're doing. And every time it's someone singing along to the radio or the record or something. And they are terrible. I don't know if that helps your writing career, ladies. Um, <laughs> seriously, if you're a good singer... Oh, yeah, that'd be so cool to see you just belting something out, you know, from rent or something. But it's always like, I'm sorry, really shitty, not even karaoke quality. So you're just saying you haven't discovered any hidden talent in these other writers. Yeah, and it's just like I'm not sure what it is. And I know they're just playing and trying to figure it out, too. So I'm not trying to be an asshole. Well, maybe I am. I don't know. But we're all trying to figure out this new technology. I think it can be a tool, but the problem with writers is it's not terribly interesting to watch right. a writer. But maybe, like Monica said, a live reading or something like that might be beneficial for a writer. Or, or what might be cool is if you're at a con and you do, like, you know, yeah, a three to four minute, like, live question with, with a you know, maybe yeah. you run into the guest of honor or you run into someone in a hallway and you yeah. do, like... A really quick, super, you know, two-question interview live to Facebook oh, or something. That cool. might be a really fun yeah. way to use or, it for a writer. Hey, our panel is starting now, and you can do, like, the first couple minutes live. Get your asses into room C in the convention center or whatever. This, what we're doing right now, is also a perfect use for live. But we're not live. We I should be. You're right. Why aren't we live, Andrew? <laughs> in concept execution... It is the kind of thing that can be perfect for, for live. For sure, yeah. There's been tons that I've recorded during, yeah. and they show yeah. it after, or they show it as a good idea. I like it. There will be a lot less editing for Monica. <laughs> yeah, we'll just do a Facebook Live next time. Yeah. So, I think now it's time for Safra to tell us about where you can find us in, uh, in the coming months. So we're going to switch over to our community calendar. In September, uh, we have Word on the Street, which I believe is the last Sunday um, of September, um, and that's in Toronto, and you can come see the Horror Writers Association booth uh, at Word on the Street, meet some horror writers and chat us up. And then in October, I'm sure we'll be doing many events, uh, but mostly for sure we will be doing Horrorama, and that's in October, I believe the third week, and yeah, and we'll be on panels there as well, so come check us out. Fantastic. And if you need any more information uh, about the Great Lakes Horror Company or HWA Ontario, you can find us online at GL Horror Podcast. GL Horror Podcast. I'll say that again. (laughs) Um, You can find us on Facebook as the Great Lakes Horror Company. Uh, And if you've been hearing tappity sounds and licking for the entire episode, that's our demon dog, Jimmy, who's been keeping us company. And until next time, yeah, he's been licking my leg for about 45 minutes, but at least it means that he's not howling. Um, And until next time, remember, I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity.